Hello and welcome to The Home Stretch, the ultimate guide to buying your first home with Gaff Interiors and Bank of Ireland. I'm Caroline. And I'm Joe. And across this six-part series, we'll be covering everything from getting your finances in order to finding the perfect house, the legal things you need to know, and how to style your home when you eventually get the keys. Yes, so if you're joining us now in the series, we're on episode three. And if you're beginning your first time buyer's journey, we really do recommend that you go back to episode one where we cover finance and episode two in which you look at where to buy and the current market. For now, we're looking at the next stage in the process. So you found your house, Woo! you think you're ready to make an offer and you want to make sure that the house that you're potentially going to buy is a worthy investment. We are so thrilled to be joined in studio by Anthony Grogan of Valley View Construction Services to give us a steer on the inside track. So for this episode, we're going beyond the aesthetics, which Joe and I always get carried away with. And we're going beyond the location and we're asking what a buyer should be mindful of when it comes to the actual bricks and mortar. So, Anthony, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. very welcome here. Thanks very here. much for inviting me along. Delighted to have you. I guess there's so many questions we want to ask you, but to start with, when we would go and view a house, we're going to be, as I said, carried away with how pretty everything looks. How do you know if house is in good shape from that first visit? Okay, so some common things that come up again and again from from our point of view. BER, so your building energy rating, that's a good indicator as to things like insulation, um, heating systems, so on and so forth, are they up to the standards that we would be building now rather than... That uh, is Caroline's favourite thing to talk. We're going to get into that later, but Caroline... <laughs> your fan. Oh, she talks, oh, that's got a, that's got a great BER rating BR, now. Yeah. So just also to, to let you know, I've bought a house a couple of years ago. Okay. Joe, Joe is hoping to buy one soon and I keep banging on about BER and how important that it's is. It's all and, I hear about. But it is because you get so, like you fall in love with an old period house and you think, wow, it's amazing. And then you're in there and it's freezing. So for me, BER is up there with the number one it's thing to look out for. So I'm always telling my friends, to, when they're, even from when they're searching, to, to set it to a minimum BER of a C or whatever, which means that it's going to cost a little bit less per year to run. It's going to be Absolutely. warmer. Absolutely. So I'm glad that I've got the yeah, right side of things. Yeah. First box ticked. So the next, there's a couple of things. Again, yeah. like previous planning history. Has there been issues with, if you're looking for a home that you might want to renovate, extend and so on. Previously, has there been applications and has there been refusals? This will kind of steer you um, in the direction as to what the planners may or may not want in that area. And for that, would you go on to the planning website you can actually get some solicitors to do a planning search on the property um, so before you you know seal the deal in other words I think it costs about 80 quid mm-hmm. so it's worthwhile doing because again if, if you're thinking of doing a two story extension at the back and you have it all planned out in your yeah. head maybe they don't want that in that area for some particular reason so that might just help you has that happened a lot with, with your clients where they've bought a house assuming they're going to just go in and do like a two-storey wraparound extension and then they call you and you're like, have you even checked to see if it's doable? Yeah, it would be. It would be a common okay. um, misconception that they can just literally build onto the back because it's not seen and so on and so forth. But you're restricted. I think we're, we're going to speak about that yeah. a little bit later. So Absolutely. in terms of the size and um, also the impact of how far into the garden, how much garden space is left and so on. So there's certain things just to keep in mind from that point of view. Okay, so there are two of the kind of the key things. So, I it, mean... Is yeah, it something ahead. that you can't really know until you get a structural engineer in? Because Joe and I were talking before we were recording. You've fallen in love with the house. You think you want to put an offer in. You haven't sealed the deal yet, but you need to know if it's okay. So which comes first? Well, this is the thing. So I suppose there's some of the key pointers from a from a client's point of view um, that they can kind of tick off themselves. Like again, some some if there's some structural cracks and so on, you can see these visually yourself. So if it's a complete no-no, then you won't be engaging. Uh, in other words, if there's a crack that you can fit your hand through and so on, you're obviously going to need your structural mm. engineer there. But it's also um, 
it's it's definitely before you press the, the go button essentially on the on the deal, it would be ideal to have a structural engineer come in and reinforce your your views, either good or bad. Okay, so obviously you need to be kind of on the final countdown with the place. Like there's no point in sending a structural engineer to five houses that you're viewing. Exactly. It's you gonna, need to be kind yeah. of at the, near the finishing line. It's with part it. of the jigsaw essentially. So if you have a good builder, might be able to lead you in some of the the the, um, the visual minor stuff. Um, and then if you are worried, and your builder's worried, um, so if you have a, a mate in the trade and so on, it's always handy to bring them along. They might be able to just spot little things that you mightn't be able to see. Are yourself. there any visual no-nos that our listeners can be aware of now if they're going to view? I suppose from from my point of view I'd always be looking out for things that would be recently redone. So why were they done? So okay. it's new paintwork is it concealing something mm, new? Sneaky. I would have been like that's great now save me yeah, a paint job. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah so and again flat roofs if a flat roof has been recently or looks recently repaired and the ceiling is lovely and nice white colour okay. might be just concealing some uh, underlining problems. So you go in super suspicious, even if it looks fantastic. I, w- I would, I would <laughs> if I was be, if I was there with a friend and I was asked to do uh, just do it coldly. I suppose it would, would be the, the way I do it. You know. Okay, okay, so you just need to be super aware. But that's really good. I would never, like Caroline, I would never look at that stuff. I'd be like, oh, that looks fab. Great, I let's know. do it. And it's just, because it's so hard to find somewhere, right? You've already gotten your mortgage approval, which has been such a hurdle. You've found the location, you've found the house, and now you just want to get it over the line. So to be told, oh, maybe the structure really isn't right, it's heartbreaking at that point, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I suppose you get emotionally invested when you, when you, when you stage, find yeah. a house. Why does it happen that we hear of so many people who have bought a house and it's a fixer-upper? typically when we're talking about these kind of problems and they're cracking into the work that they're expecting, you know, like on a room to improve, they're expecting it to be X amount of money and suddenly they find dry rot or something. How is that only happening or being found out after the fact? Well, I suppose from a structural engineer's point of view and even a builder's point of view coming in, basically at that stage, it's mostly a visual inspection. So unless you go essentially tearing things apart. Do you mind if I hack into your walls there? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They they won't like it very much. So you have to, I suppose, uh, rely on their their expert guidance. But there's also um, a little bit of chance in there that that you'd hope that you wouldn't find uh, some of them things. But it has been common enough to, to find them things thereafter. So Anthony, you're a builder, but there's also quantity surveyors, structural engineers and snaggers in the mix. So what's the difference between all of them? Okay, so your structural engineer will determine essentially the structural integrity of the home by means of a, a, a visual inspection after the house is built, obviously. But also d- during a build, he can um, specify certain uh, steel requirements, etc. A quantity surveyor um, will price the aforementioned work. So if you're going to build on your extension, it will be prudent to employ or engage a surveyor. Do you need both of those? Or is it one not, or the other? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Normally, an architect will engage a structural engineer if it's required. So if you're taking out the back wall of a house, your structural engineer will come in and he will specify the steel, the size, etc. and oversee that element. So that's only if you've bought the house and then you're going to do work on do it? Do work on it. Okay, so for actually just buying the house? Just buying the house. It's you not, only need... Yeah, the structural engineer would be, from my recommendation, it would essential. Okay. Uh, surveyor, not so much. Okay, and then snag, is snagless, is that only with new builds? Um, yeah, well, because in an, in an old build, um, the clients are probably not going to snag the house. This is it. Take, Take it, 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 it. Essentially, Absolutely, yeah, get rid. Yeah. And also, they the person selling it might not even be aware. Like, if they haven't hacked into the walls, they might not know either. They might not so. know either. Yeah, they might not know either. 
when when we're going through a house viewing, what should people be looking at? Not just the negatives. So you you mentioned um, things looking too perfect, but people. I mean, my husband anyway, when he was looking, was like, I don't like that rug, and I would be driven demented saying, Well, that's not coming with the house. Sorry, Barry, if you're listening. Uh, get carried away in these stupid things, but not looking at things like how the light moves through the house. So what's important to look out for in that regard, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, aspect is is uh, hugely important. Rear side garden, end of terrace if you can get it, enough room to extend if you need if you need extension down the line or family uh, requirements. I also think things that are kind of commonly overlooked would be Downstairs, toilet and bathroom. Um, mm, if you want definitely. to age well with the house, you know, you, you can grow with the house. And you'll always pay more for a side entrance, will you? Typically you would. Typically you we would. We were giving out about this this morning because we both had to do things. I'm renting, obviously, but Caroline has her own house, but we both need things done in the back garden. And they were tearing stuff through the house. So I would recommend side entrance all the way. Yeah. yeah. Such a pain. And even then with the aspect, then that will add a bit more price onto it as well. So it, when I was buying, it was, we had a choice between, I think it was maybe 20 grand in the difference. And I didn't have the 20 grand. So I said, just leave it. Yeah. We, so we don't have great sun in our back garden. But now retrospectively, I think if it's going to be a long-term investment, yeah, I, t- I think it's, it's it's a good it's a good uh, it's a good selling point um, for a home aspect to get the sun. So, um, what, what's the ideal? Obviously, south, but is there a, is there a compromise there? Yeah, well, if you if if you take the the theory that it rise or the, the theory the uh, <laughs> rises in the east, the sun rises in the east, and it definitely sets in the west. So, you you would like obviously in fr- from from a, a living point of view that the the hub of the home would revolve around that that general aspect. So we would see it, I suppose, uh, from, from from our point of view, the extensions and all would be built with that in mind and around that. So it's nice to have that aspect in the garden. We were in a beautiful house last week doing a tour and it was actually a new build, but uh, the owner was telling us that there had been this big wall kind of splitting the, the ground floor and she had decided to knock it and make it an open plan space. And it was stunning. And... While that's a great idea, I think I would definitely be guilty of being like, oh, I'll take this wall out and I'll take that wall out. And then you're like, no, that's a supporting wall. You can't. So is there any way of knowing or again, is that something that you ask the professionals? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's indicators that you can. In other words, if you, if you're, if you can knock on the wall and it's a, it's a stud wall. Yes. If you can determine whether or not it's a stud wall, more often than not, it will be an unsupporting wall. So you're OK to remove that. But again, you would be led by your architect and builder. But it's a costly error, and it's it's one that comes up time and time again. Homeowners come in with a with, with a, a a lovely plan in mind, and it, it eats up a big chunk of the budget when you have to insert steels and so on and so forth. Okay, really okay. good to know. I actually, and as I'm speaking on on those things, I actually saw I was visiting a house um, in Temple Oak a couple of days ago, and beautiful old house, and they obviously had like a little bit of space next to the house, and they had built kind of a one up, one down right next to them. And I just couldn't imagine how they'd gotten planning permission and how that house is going to, like, it just seems really strange. I hadn't really seen it done in that tight of a space before. Is there a chance that if you're, and it was for sale, it was sale agreed, but is that something that maybe you should get someone to have a look at just in case they didn't get planning permission or just in case there's some problems around that? Absolutely, absolutely. There's uh, certain guidelines around uh, planning permission so you, there's there's planning exemptions in that forty square meters at the rear, uh, generally, um, if it doesn't encroach more than uh, I think there's twenty five square meters of garden has to be left. Really, uh, even though it's your own garden. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, that was uh, and tw- you can build a twenty five square meter side garage. Um, again, it has to be a garage. 
So oh, not okay. for living space. Yeah, these guys definitely skipped some of the rules. I should have taken a picture to show it to you now and you'd give us the full lowdown yeah. on it. So is it wise then if you're if you're considering a house to kind of walk around the neighbourhood and get a sense of what other work's been done? Absolutely, yeah. It, because you, you'll find out the good and the bad and maybe even if, if there's something that um, from a similar similar home in the area that they've done something that you may be thinking of yourself. I'd knock in and see is there things that change, um, things okay. they wouldn't do and things they would do. So it'll give you a few points. And it will also set a precedent for, especially if you're in maybe a, a new build area um, where I am, where once some trend starts, whether it's um, skylights or anything, it, yes. it tends to follow suit that everyone will have to stick to the same. Is that, would I be right in saying Abs- that? Absolutely. It, it shows that there's a, a planning preference there. So if you, like what you said, if you if you, if you you want, um, or if you're thinking of dormer windows or roof windows, etc., or a side extension, um, it'll give a good indicator as to what way the planners are thinking, which is always a good Okay, you have to kind of future-proof yourself, I think, with these situations, isn't it? And just try and think 10 years, 15 years down the line, what what are you going to need? Yeah, what am I going to need? At the moment, you might just be so panicked to get anywhere, but you have to think long-term, or you're going to grow out of the space really quickly. Absolutely. Um, And now we're going to move on to Caroline's (laughs) favourite subject, B-E-R, which stands for... Building energy rating. I should know that by now from such a fan. So we touched on it earlier. I want to go into a little bit of detail about the difference this can make for people's lives. It's not just about being eco-friendly, which is obviously what we want more and more these days. We want to have more sustainable living. We want to have more green energy at home. But it's actually the cost of living and the comfort that you have. So I was compl- so shocked to learn the difference between when you compare maybe like an F rating house to an A rating house on how much per year it'll cost to run. Now, obviously, an A rating house will cost more money up front. Absolutely. But is there, are you better off going for as good a B or as you possibly can? Absolutely. If you have the choice, um, it's always better. to, to the, the higher up the, the, the B or ladder you can get, the better. It, it, as you said, it, it, the cost of living reduces... Um, I think it's something like five grand in the difference between yeah. the, the highest and and one of the lowest, which is every per year. It's is monstrous, wow. yeah, yeah. It's monstrous. And, and then there's there's health issues around the lower ratings, etc. So you've you could have mold and condensation, all that mm-hmm. them, them kind of problems, common problems. And if you're a cold creature, you're just moaning all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's 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 a few few aspects: the cost, as you said, the health, and and the environment, which is three very. But important. if someone isn't in a position to buy. Not not all houses are, you know, there's not enough houses that are at a high rating. So we have to buy houses that are, you know, some of them aren't even rated at all. Yeah. What is it doable to bring it up to a higher energy rating? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first couple of jumps, I suppose, are, are the most cost effective. So general things like um, attic insulation, boiler upgrades, etc. They're normally the most cost effective ways of starting to climb up the the, the BER ladder essentially so but as you get closer to the A's um, that's when it becomes uh, more expensive so mm-hmm. the closer you want to, just to bear in mind the closer you want to, to get to an A rating the more it's going to cost you so What about windows? I, I notice everyone who buys an old house suddenly has these stunning new grey windows Yes again they would be one of the, the, the big ticket items and then on top of that you have your dry lining um, or external wrap but also to, to bear in mind that the older the home, the more problems that come with that when you are dry lining and insulations, etc. Slope ceilings, hard access for insulation upgrades. Yeah, um, and how difficult is it on, like, if you're living in the house and those upgrades are being done? Are some of them easier, are some of them very disruptive? The first couple that I mentioned would be relatively unintrusive. The But as again, as you go up that ladder, 
they they become very intrusive and very hard to live in the home while they are going on. So there could be an added cost that maybe not wouldn't be considered by the the, the homeowner in terms of having to move out and get alternative accommodation, mm. etc. It's such a toss up because. With a new build, obviously, it's turnkey. You're moving in, you're getting your amazing energy rating. You don't have to really do anything apart from cosmetics. But you're lacking the characteristics and the, you know, just the little, the fireplace and the, the charm of, of an older house. With an older house, you don't really know what you're getting in terms of cost. So for a first-time buyer, would you advise either one or is, is there, it's, it's such a personal thing, but what would you go for? Well, it's basically, um, it's depending on the person themselves. We're all very busy now. So if you're, if you want the, the hassle-free option, go for the turnkey. Um, but if you're, as you say, looking for a little bit, something a little bit different, mm. a bit of charm, and maybe you want to get your 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 uh, get stuck in uh, a little door upper is always uh, it's always interesting. And that's where you and, come in. Yeah, there you go. That's what keeps me in business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so exactly. fixer yeah. upper it is then. So we spoke a little bit about extensions and all that, but like. If somebody is looking and there is room to extend and they don't want to be seeking permission, can you like sort them out with like a smaller sneaky just goes under the radar of the planning permission extension? Or do you advise to just go for it and go big? And Well, again, it, it, it's d- dependent on, on the client's requirements. And normally they, they the client would have the here and now in mind probably not so much uh, in the years to come. So we'd always try and advise them to 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 try if they can, future-proof. And your planning permission will last for how long? Five years. Okay. So, yeah. That's pretty good going. Yes, yeah, so you'd want to get it done in that time. Yeah. And would you advise people go in, say they say, right, I'm considering doing my attic extension in a year's time, maybe a kitchen extension in, in three years' time. Should they do all it all at once? That's the most cost-effective way to do it. Um, but it's not always... As in do the planning all at once? Oh, I mean, sorry. Yeah. I mean, planning... Absolutely. Again, future planning is key because you can leave routes for electrical and mechanical um, things like that ready to, to, to go. So if, you, if, you've, if you're doing an extension downstairs or if you're planning to do an extension downstairs, you can leave provision essentially for, for the add-on at a later date. So it's always good to, to have the end game in mind when you, when you start. So at least you know where, where you're going where to you're finish headed. up. Yeah, exactly. So what would be the most common changes that people make that you come across? The, the the rear extension would be the 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 most common one. So you have your your forty square meters rear, rear extension mm-hmm. just coming in underneath the planning. But that's um, still huge, isn't it? Like literally yeah, forty square meters is absol- massive. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. If a couple of square meters on uh, of porch and possibly a side extension, a side garage extension. Excuse me. So they would be kind of the the, the common ones. Everyone wants the kitchen island. Uh, absolutely, yes. the open plan, and again, it kind of feeds into the the. The new living, we're all so busy, and when we come home, we want to spend time all together in the Hubble house, the, mm. the kitchen, living, dining area, all everyone mingling together. So, yeah. it's, um, I still, I don't know, I I love like some element of open plan living where there's a, a dining and living element to the to your kitchen, but also if you want to go and watch a movie or something, I, I do like having the option of putting myself off, or I guess for people who have kids, you want to lock them away somewhere, somewhere to hide away, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get away. So even for things like if you're cooking and the smells travel through the whole house, like do you think it's wise if people are planning or looking at what they can do that they always have one little room that's sort of cut off? Absolutely, and it's it's again if 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 you're if you're getting home late from work and as you say you want to. Uh, go in and watch a, a bit of TV or just uh, listen to a, a bit of music or something. It's nice to have a small um, area that you can nip into, mm. um, easy to heat and you're not waiting for the big expanse of the open living area and as you say, with the the, the, the cooking, etc. Mm-hmm. 
So do you feel like with everyone extending into the into the into their backyard, is the garden becoming less valuable? I mean, people seem to be kind of happy now with just a little green area and then more indoor space. Yeah, again, it's it's it's, it's, it's the, Ireland. It's the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we get we get what twenty days of sunshine a year. So it's, oh, that is grim. Um, the, the rest of it, we're 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 normally locked away inside. But I, I think again, it's the, it's the, it's the modern living. We don't have time to be out attending to gardens and. And so it's probably become less of a requirement, although it still is nice to have. We're seeing more and more, though, especially in urban areas, like really small, but cool and really well designed little courtyards where it's just a space. It becomes almost like an extension of the living room Absolutely. where it's not necessarily reams of grass, but just a little patio area. And that seems to be what people are going for so that they can have the bigger kitchen or the, li- the living space inside more and more. Exactly, exactly. So the, the the kitchen essentially flows into the garden when we do get the aforementioned yeah. uh, bit of sunshine. The elusive we can, sunshine. Yeah. We want to ask you about if, if it's possible to put a price on things, which I know you're probably going to hate. Um, but before we get into specifics <laughs> like extensions, to go back to what we were talking about, the upgrade works to bring your BER up. So say someone buys a house, like a three bed semi, really old house, very much fixer upper even before they do extensions, even before they do any of the work that you can actually see, what can they expect to have to put aside for their windows, their doors, the insulation, that kind of thing? Okay, so common things like attic insulation, somewhere between one and two grand will will, will upgrade your attic insulation, depending on what's there. Obviously, previous, a boiler upgrade could start at three, four grand, obviously, depending on whether you want to go a new condensing oil burner or gas burner or down the, the heat pump route, it can climb quite quickly. Window upgrade, again, anywhere between 8 to 15 grand. Wow. And those back sliding doors that look so amazing, they're costly, aren't they? The lovely lift and slide, yeah. About, we would normally allocate for a decent size, about four to five grand. Okay. At least you can see those, but with like electrics and stuff, if someone needed to get the whole heating system and the electrics replaced. Yeah, and, and again, it's, that's one of the, 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 the costly items um, electrical upgrade could start at 15, 20 grand and quite quickly climb depending on routes and decoration thereafter. Wow. And then average cost of, let's say, like a rear extension that's 15 square metres. 15 square metres. That's tiny, isn't it? Or is that... Yeah. That would still give you like a maybe a sofa and... It'd give you that extra little... Yeah, that extra little bit, but it's not... I mean, it's not going to be a whole new living space. I mean, we want to extend downstairs in our house. Um, our garden is already really small, but I don't think it'll be much more than 15 square metres. Really? And I think that would actually make a huge difference, even just to jut out our dining area and then give us the, where the dining table is now, give us that back as just more space. That's so, a bit of freedom. Yeah, again. I'm actually just asking you for myself, how much do I have to pay? <laughs> yeah. Again, it depends on what's 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 essentially going in that space. Okay, so the materials. Yeah, right. and, and if, it's, if it's a kitchen, obviously you're going to have kitchen um, costs associated with that. But, generally starting about 20, 25 grand. Okay. okay. And um, Shane, who is our mortgage advisor, was saying that you, if you do get a fixer-upper, you need to build in a lot of the costs of the renovations when you're applying. So people can come to you and get a quote and then build that in. If, if they want to upgrade Absolutely. and they want to extend and they have all that kind Absolutely. of factored it's, in. It's, it's good to get a, a ballpark. So at least you have a little bit of contingency there built in for when you do go to extend or renovate. Amazing. What kind of work are you doing mostly with with clients? Have you have you been working with a lot of first time buyers, or are they holding off for a while before they do stuff? Yeah, we do a range. So we do um, new builds, one off, and a lot of extension renovations. So a lot of first time buyers and a lot of first time builders. So essentially, out in the country, would be a lot of one offs, and we're finding even up around uh, Dublin as well, 
there's a lot of new builds going up around here. So mm. that end garden becomes, or that side garden becomes a lot more valuable when you have. I mean, we'd love to do a whole other series on self-build and people who take on that task of building it themselves. Obviously, we could go down a rabbit hole, but do you think that is something that people go into very naively or is that actually a great idea to just start from scratch? Like the problem with buying a fixer-upper is that essentially sometimes you can just be left with the shell and you end up having to tear out everything and start again. Whereas at least with the, the new build, you know what you're getting yourself into. I'm sure there's going to be costs that accumulate, but... If you can get a bit of land from the mammy. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I, I think a lot of times people underestimate how stressful it's going to be, especially when the home that they walked in and bought, when it's all ripped apart, it may not be, uh, you know, it may not be as, as, as nice a, a place to walk into during the build. So that can become quite stressful. And a lot of times it's underestimated, the, the cost associated and the duration. So okay, long time. I have another personal question. So I want to extend my attic in my three bed terraced house, but I don't know if it'll qualify as a fourth bedroom. I don't know if I really mind, but if it goes to, if I come to sell it later on, do I want that to be a legal fourth bedroom and what makes it so? Okay, there's there's um, constraints around that in terms of head height. So you have to have... 2.4 for a certain um, area. You have fire safety requirements, fire escape requirements, access to and from, obviously, from the stairs. So these are all things that should really be checked with a good architect or your planning department. But does that actually reduce the the, you know, the value of the house, even though it's effectively a fourth bedroom, even if it doesn't meet those standards? It, can you still... I go, obviously, you'd have to list it as a three bed, but should people who are looking for four beds search for three beds and look out for attic extensions that actually do give them an extra room? Absolutely, it's always a good space to have, but just bear in mind that from from a, a planning point of view and possibly an insurance point of view, that it may not comply for a bedroom. So while it may look like a, um, a room that will facilitate a bed, uh, etc., and it might be big enough to do so, you may not be insured if oh, okay, okay. if uh, the. And you want to be safe as well. We don't want to be absolutely too sneaky. <laughs> You're too precious. We don't want any any nasty surprises. So, if people are considering buying a house that's going to need work, should they contact an art architect and build it directly? Like, do they go hand in hand? And to just start off before you even get in down the rabbit hole, should you just go and meet someone and say, "Look, this is what I'm thinking," and you can say, "Yeah, yeah." Who comes first, architect or builder? Yeah, it's it's good. It's good to have. From my, I suppose I'm a little bit biased, but it's good to have a. A, a good builder that you can go back to have I suppose indicative costings he's mm. probably going to give you the most realistic and then obviously a good good architect thereafter mm. but, <laughs> <laughs> that's but uh, nor, normally the way it goes uh, generally the way it goes is an architect's engaged first and, and is that really a, only if you need planning generally it would be yeah. because anything under that normally unless it's as a, your, your open plan and you want to open up the, the bottom of the house okay yeah it would generally be, um, they would have a, a space in mind themselves. But anything substantial, anything over your 15, okay. 20 square metres would generally. And builders just seem, well, good builders seem like gold dust these days. Very hard to find. If you hear of a good one, you'll not get them for a couple of years. Are you so in demand right now? How, how does someone find one? Is it always on a personal recommendation? Generally, um, most of our work will become through recommendation. Again, it's the, the nature of the of the beast at the minute. It's it's extremely busy. Labour is um, hard to, hard to find. And does so, that drive prices of absolutely, building absolutely. Up? Okay. 
because you're also busy building these massive estates and then I come along with, with my little attic extension and it's like, we can't really fit you in. <laughs> yeah, it has, a, it has a knock-on effect. The big sites are, are eating up all the, the, the labour force. So from the, the domestic building side, from our side, to try and entice some of that labour back obviously has a, um, a cost implication, which then has a knock-on effect to the homeowner. So good for people to know too if they're thinking of buying a house and there is going to be work. Give yourself like a lot of wiggle room time-wise. You might think, okay, I'll start right away, but you mightn't get someone who's able to do that for quite some time. Quite some time. So you might mm. be yeah. living in it for and a while. And can we ask you as well about what people can expect if they're going to do, like gut the house completely? Is that like a, a year-long project or for an attic extension, it might just be a six-weeker type of job? Is there a r- rough kind of time frame? Yeah, again, your 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 rule of, rule of thumb essentially anything exceeding your 40 square metres, you're going to be looking at in excess of 12, 14 weeks. Okay. But again, it depends really on the extent that you're going. You could be up to six, seven, eight months. Again, in Ireland, we have drying times and so on and so forth, which are hard to come by this mm. time of the year. So that has a knock-on effect. So just bear in mind, give a little bit of leeway, I think, to to um, the, to the, the first expected date. Yeah, because we're just so excited to get in there and have the keys that you just yeah. want everything straight away. But if we've learned anything so far from recording, it's that patience is a virtue it's, that you need for, for this whole process. Absolutely. It's so key. Absolutely. This is a toughie, especially like if you're like myself and Caroline who are so focused on aesthetics and everything and we really don't know the ins and outs. Like, how do you just avoid not getting completely and totally ripped off? If, if you're feeling that you're, you're getting ripped off, generally you will be. So, <laughs> if um, you think you're being yeah, feeling, you probably you are. You probably are. Exactly, yeah. So there, there's plenty of good builders out there still. There, there is the few that kind of gives the rest of us the, the bad name and tries to, to, to make a, a killing. Especially with a first-time buyer because you've probably not done this kind of work before. So how do you know what something should cost? What Like, is there somewhere we should go to get a, like an idea of what people are paying? Is tradesmen.e, that kind of thing? Absolutely, yeah. And as I say, normally somebody knows a, a builder somewhere that can give you maybe a second opinion. And if you feel like you're you're it's a little bit high, I would definitely try to... In, in, and get a second opinion, get a second quote. Okay. And also bear in mind that it's not just the, the labour, but if you're going for these finishes that are so luxurious that you find on Pinterest that you think, oh, I want all that, you're going to have to pay more for absolutely, those different absolutely. things. Absolutely. That's the, uh, if you want more, you have to pay more, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. So if people are listening and they're interested, where have you done some work or what are you working on that people can maybe Google and have a look at the kind of things that you're, the kind of projects that you're working on? Okay, you can see some of our projects on our website, um, valleyviewconstructionservices.com. We're on Facebook as well. We've done some nice new builds, one in Churchtown in Woodside. <gasps> I think I've seen it. Have you? Beautiful. It's nice, mm. yeah. Um, and we've just completed one down in County Kildare, a nice one-off. And we were doing some nice extension renovations, one in Kilcock and one in Dundrum at the minute. Will you do mine? No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Two years' time. This whole episode was constructed so she yes. could secure you, Anthony. What do you prefer doing personally? Do you prefer the new bills or do you prefer doing the real big challenges? It's it's nice. It's a nice mixture of both. I yeah. suppose the, the new builds are, are, are less challenging in, in terms of you know what you're going to get. The the renovations tend to throw up a few hidden mm. gems from time to time. So, so that drama that we see on the TV isn't put in there. <laughs> no, <all>. unfortunately <laughs> not. Real. You know, and it's and stressful for us all. For for someone like us, if we if I was to consult the help of a builder, what advice can you give us to make your life easier? Like not be ringing you all the time, not be asking stupid questions. Like how does it make, what can make it more fluid? Planning, planning, planning. Like I think that the more time you put into to the planning before. So 
a lot of times when, when people get the house, they're panicked to, to, to get in and get renovated and get started. All their dreams all at once. But there's details around that, which I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. uh, know more about than I, that need um, a bit of professional input. So the kitchen layouts, your bedroom layouts, bathroom uh, choices, all that kind of stuff. And that uh, will, will kind of impact uh, two ways. So it'll, it'll reduce your programme in terms of having to wait or finding out that the, the kitchen man that, that, that you like, his kitchen, is tied up for the next eight months. So a little bit of planning, I think, is is key there, you know. And before we let you go, I want to ask you, I guess before people have actually recruited your services or you've shaken hands to say we're going to do this, you obviously must spend a lot of time going to people's houses for cups of teas and biscuits to, to like have the initial chat There's a lot without knowing if it's going to happen. There's a lot Is of that, that part of the service that you'd offer? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's that comes hand in hand because there, there has to be a, a personal relationship there. You have to trust each other. It's important. There's a couple of people involved in the in the process and everyone has to to make it work. Everyone has to get along. So you have the chat, you visit the site, you, you hear what they want to do and then give them a ballpark idea of what they can expect to, to be paying in timeline. That kind. So it's uh, obviously very personal to the to the project. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So generally when we, when we, we would initially get the, the, the first call sometimes when there's a, a kind of a very vague plan uh, drawn out and then it's not uncommon to be brought back a year or so later with mm. a whole different concept. So it kind of kicks off from there. So you, you give your a couple of ideas, architects, input, etc. And um, it comes back around. Ultimately, you need someone with the know-how like yourself to tell mm. no nobody's like us what to do, <laughs> how to do it. Make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Andy, thank you so much for your insight. It's been really, you, really interesting. Thank and you so much. Caroline will be in touch. I'll talk to you when we're finished recording <laughs> now. No, 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 thank you. Thanks, Anthony. That is it for episode three. Thank you so much for tuning into the Homestract, your ultimate guide to buying your first home with us, Gaff Interiors and Bank of Ireland. Tune into the next episode where we'll be getting into all the legal nitty gritty with our very own solicitor. So come back then for episode four. And make sure you've subscribed if you haven't already. Meet a Bank of Ireland mortgage specialist anytime, anywhere. Go to boi.com forward slash homes. Bank of Ireland Mortgage Bank, trading as Bank of Ireland Mortgages, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.